With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hello, happy new week, everyone. I know it's not that new in the week by the time you're listening to this, but it is for us recording this now, and we have a week in Devil's Hockey to recap here for you. So, my name is Dan Rosell, and I'm joined by John Fisher. And uh, John, is the Devil of the Week Corey Schneider? Yes, undoubtedly yes (laughs) incredible i mean there's a few candidates in my mind that stick out with this run of four games and before this stretch kind of started we talked about how they might be in for an easier part of their schedule and looking at what they've done in this part of the schedule they went 2-0-2 this last week which you know in other circumstances when they're closer to a playoff spot every point matters so on so forth but the two losses in overtime were pretty disappointing but the wins were Corey Schneider's first two of the season so it was it was interesting to see how he just keeps bouncing back late in seasons when things don't matter as much but let's just go from the top here because his first appearance or no not first appearance but his first um, win of the season came against the Red Wings and the Red Wings are not a very good team No, the Red Wings have the worst record by far in the NHL. And um, the only team that can make a claim as being as bad as the Red Wings uh, from a certain statistical standpoint, (laughs) uh, five-on-five specifically, would be the New Jersey Devils. Uh, They actually had the worst five-on-five rates in all of February. (laughs) Just just another reason why Elaine Nazardine and his staff should be nowhere near this roster next season. But that's beside the point. They took care of business in arguably their best game against Detroit this season. This is their third game between the two teams. This was the only one in Detroit. And unlike the other two games against Detroit, the Devils did not wait until the third period to score four goals. They did the four goals across three periods. They took a lead. The Schneider looked solid. They won comfortably. It was actually pleasant to watch. Yeah, and it was good news for him. It was his first win of the season, and... You know, he got back from Binghamton. He probably did not enjoy uh, sort of stay there given where he was in his NHL career in the past. But he was a good sport about it. Everyone in the organization praised him for it. And he's come back and really shown some stuff here, which is incredibly frustrating and incredibly rewarding at the same time. Because then we go into this offseason with the same issue of, well, maybe he could find some gear here, but I don't think it's worth really investing in that again. Although, it is nice for the guys in the locker room to play for him to get him that win. I think that's a lot of the sentiment that was echoed, especially after the Detroit game. And, you know, it was just, Detroit is not, they may be the worst team of the salary cap era, period. Yeah, their season is a, a special type of terrible a special type of, ter- of awful, a special type of awful. I just said that twice in a <laughs> row, so sorry about that. But it bears repeating. They're just terrible. And to think, Dan, they got worse at the trade deadline. Yeah. They, this is a weaker team because they don't have Andreas Athanasiu. They don't have Mike Green anymore. And I, I don't know what other moves they made, but it doesn't matter. They're a worse team for it. And uh, it didn't help them on that particular night that Dylan Larkin had a really bad game. Uh Todd, no, Tyler, 
Tyler Bertuzzi. <laughs> Thank you. Todd was his dad. I remember his dad because I am old. Was it his dad or his uncle? Uh, I think it's his uncle. I'm still old is the uh-huh. point. He, he is a younger Bertuzzi. Yeah. Um, you know, he hit a big post. Um, Valtteri Fipola was the only guy to beat uh, Schneider that night. It was on a it was a chance that Schneider had no real chance on. It was a power play goal in the third period. But, you know, the Devils were already up 3-0 at that point. You didn't really care that much. I would say the bigger stories outside of Schneider in that game, Dan, was um, one, you got goal a goal from Joey Anderson, and Dakota Mermis picked up his first assist, further, furthering cementing his uh, status as the best Devils <laughs> defenseman with a steep for a name. Uh, you got to see further goals and points from Jesper Rott and Nikita Gusev. They continued their uh, streaks of points, and Pavel Zaka got in on the action with two assists of his own. And you finally got to see Jack Hughes set up Kyle Palmieri, and Palmieri actually scored on a power play for a change since Jack Hughes has been giving him giving him dishes, but he ain't eating. <laughs> he finally ate a power play goal that night. And I guess that leads to the other uh, story of the night is that uh, – how do I best put this? So, <laughs> Is it the glove toss? No, it wasn't the glove toss. This was before the glove toss. So Jack Hughes oh. – was rocked by a player who, whose name escapes me at the moment. And Jack Hughes decided, I'm going to go after this guy for hitting me high. And he, he kind of went knee on knee in some sort of awkward jump hit. He got two minutes for it. Uh, that was the that led to the Pipola goal. And then that led to further beef as Hughes was on late in the game. Uh, he took a big hit uh, from Bertuzzi. That led to a giant scrum and a big... Uh, to do between John Hayden and um, I want to say Bertuzzi. And then Bertuzzi was pulled away and Subban. Subban initiated the glove tossing by tossing a glove where nobody saw him. And then we got the more hilarious highlight of Bertuzzi being held back by a linesman, still jaw jacking at Subban and then tossing his glove at his butt. Yeah. <laughs> like the linesman holding him back and, and everybody in the arena just going, who throws a glove? Like, what was the point? Misconducts for both of them. The game ended. We moved on with our lives. But uh, it was telling that on Schneider's great night that the three stars of the game by uh, Will Birchfield of the attending media gave the entire three stars to the Zaka line. Right. And if not for Schneider, I'd say that Jesper Bratt and Pavel Zaka are pretty good candidates for Devil of the Week. However, so I just looked it up. It was Robbie Fabry who he hit, which has an added Thank wrinkle. Thank you, Robbie Fabry. It has an extra wrinkle yeah. because Fabry has missed significant time with two different knee injuries. So, you know, it looks like he's he's good to go. It looks like he's nearing the return to the Red Wings lineup, and it was nothing too serious. But, yeah, they can't have been too pleased about that hit from Jack Hughes, even though he was getting oh. pushed around all night, although I just don't know if that's – the appropriate reaction to have, but I understand his frustration. It's not the only thing that's been frustrating him, I'm sure. So it all boiled over and a night where the devils, where the result wasn't really in question, they kind of had to vent some frustration and Detroit was the uh, unlucky recipient of that. So the devils won that game four to one. And then they had already set out on their road trip, but you know, Detroit's Detroit. It's same time zone. It's all good. They go out to the West coast and play two games, that looks so similar to each other in terms of the progression of play where the devils had really strong first periods and then just completely fell off a cliff for the latter two somehow managing to steal a point in each. Yeah. So this is another example of why the New Jersey devils are a bad team and why I keep advocating that. No, the team is not playing more fun. No, they're not playing better under Nazardine. 
it's really the goaltending and special teams bailing them out. And that was the story of all of fe- February. I made a very big point of that in the month in review post that is up at all about the Jersey right now. And these two games really typify that. So in the San Jose game on Thursday night, they gave Schneider another start because, hey, why not? And the Devils did well to start the period. You know, they got two unassisted goals. Zajac scored. Maybe technically was an own goal. But, hey, he followed up Miles Wood's play. He took the shot. It did go over the line briefly. So they counted it. And then Gusev had an amazing steal and score. Uh, so the Devils are up 2 nothing. You're sitting there going, all right, the Devils are taking care of business against one of the few teams that beneath them in the standings. And then the Devils are just like, eh, <laughs> whatever. Yeah. You know, Schneider's got this. We'll just cruise to a 2 nothing win. And San Jose clearly had other ideas as Mario Ferraro scored through a bunch of players to make it 2-1. Then Sorensen scored a shorthanded goal after uh, – Oh, goodness. After uh, a bad passing decision by Jack Hughes that got picked off. Uh, but but as bad as those things looked, the Sharks really pinned the Devils back for the second and third periods. Like it look, the Sharks didn't look anything like a 27th or 28th or 29th place team. They looked like one of the many playoff teams the Devils have coming up on their schedule. And the Devils just just struggled to win the puck, struggled to maintain possession, and struggled to make Martin Jones and his crummy save percentage uh, do any hard work that night after the first period. And so this is you are right. They were lucky to get to overtime. Well, I want to point out this is also a different Sharks team than the one that they saw in New Jersey uh, the week prior where Evander Kane was suspended for that game. I think Couture was still nursing an injury maybe for that right. one. And they That's... were missing a lot of their lineup there, and the Devils only won 2-1. to one. So they had some... Weird scoring issues on the Sharks um, happening. And if I remember correctly, that game was the one where they scored two third-period goals to just kind of take it last minute. But I'm No, that was the one where um, Brat scored his amazing goal in the second period second. to tie it up, and then P.K. Subban scored a rare power play goal in the third oh, yeah. period, and the Devils That That floated wrister, that's what that was. Yes, okay. exactly. Gotcha. So, yeah, but you're right. The, the games have been unusually tight despite the fact that Teams have not had an issue going up, going to the San Jose's house and just making it miserable for Martin Jones. But the Devils made it easy by putting 13 shots on him um, after that first period. And I do mean just the 13 shot because overtime, oh boy, that was a <laughs> terrible 40 second to stretch there. The Devils did not have the puck. And they, <laughs> you know, they, I, okay, let me take a step back here, Dan. So I was covering the game on Twitter and on the game thread on All About the Jersey, and this this was a 10, 10.30 start. Uh, uh, yeah, it was a 10.30 start time, East Coast. So it's 1 in the morning, and my tired eyes have noticed, huh, it's 3-on-3, three three, and the Devils only have one man cover. <laughs> Classic. Shot, <laughs> rebound, goal, Logan Couture, end of game. <laughs> and I'm literally still sitting here going, how do you not go man-to-man in a 3-on-3 three three situation? Like, yeah, Severson made a big mistake not covering the right man. He, he, he sure and Palmieri should know better. Like, it's literally a three-on-three situation. Right. Pick a guy. Yeah. Say who you're covering. Job done. Couture was wide open. Kane was wide open. Like, it, it was just maddening. I mean, I guess they did it quickly, so good for my sleeping habits. But, you know, that was just that was just sad to see. And it just – it was the exclamation point for what was, as you said – a good first period followed by a lot of trash afterwards. And I would say that the next game that was the afternoon contest against Los Angeles was pretty much exactly that, except the Devils blew a two-goal lead instead of a one-goal lead this time. Same thing, down to the overtime, and they didn't touch the puck once that entire overtime, I'm pretty sure. 
So, um, yeah, you, just to just to get everybody up yeah. to speed here, this one was another tight game. Now, the Kings, Dan, are, are a team that statistically aren't that bad of a five-on-five team. Like, in terms of shot generation and shot prevention, they're actually quite good. They just, well, were bad at everything else this season. Um, but Jesper Brock got an early goal from Nikita Gusev. It, w- it was sweet. And then the Devils actually created a lot of great opportunities on Jonathan Quick, and Quick just had a great game, like – you know, he he made a great game and Blackwood was in net for this one. And he also had another great game. But Dustin Brown, you know, was wide open in the slot to tie it up in the second period. And as he said, in overtime, uh, one minute and 58 seconds of the Kings just dominating the play from face off to the end. I think Severson may have had one touch and that led to Gusev just streaking to get off the ice because they were on a marathon shift. And then, you know, it's a three on two and Kempe is just wide open and wires a perfect shot to the top quarter past Blackwood. But, you know, the Devils just utterly failed in overtime. Like, it wasn't a case of somebody just missed their coverage like the San Jose game. The Devils just – they just got rolled. And the the game was very much a lot like uh, the San Jose game where, um, you know, only one one of those periods was actually good in the terms of run of play. It was the second period, ironically enough, for the Devils. But that third period, you know, they couldn't solve quick. They didn't generate, I don't think, nearly as much as they could have. And in overtime, they just got – they just got wrecked. Mm-hmm. Simple as. Yeah. And as a res- as a result, they lost they lost another point to a team beneath them in the standings. Yeah, and that was Mackenzie Blackwood's only loss, I think, the entire month. I think Correct. he went six zero I mean, and one this month, which not only has has had our attention for a while, and you know we've been talking about him since pretty much August, but it's gotten the attention of the league, and people are starting to take notice of Blackwood's recent run here. So I'm. You know, it's disappointing that he couldn't finish out the perfect month, but he really did all he could. I mean, he can't score the goals, so he's going to do what he can behind them. And when he's left alone like that in overtime, there's only so much he can do. And I don't... Exactly. You're at the mercy of the shooter. Yeah, exactly. And it's a shame. It's really a shame that they couldn't find a way to perform in this game and at least take some points from both the Sharks and the Kings that teams, like you mentioned, that are below them in the standings, like the Red Wings, and... Another one that came up after that was the Ducks. So you look at this road trip so far and you say, okay, Red Wings, I mean, they're just historically bad. They're going to get, in most likely, in most cases, two full points there. However, these Sharks and, you know, the Sharks and the Kings, not very good teams, but it seems like something sluggish was happening where they just ran out of steam. And maybe it was playing on the West Coast, whatever it was, but they went into Anaheim and it was a back-to-back. So you're already expecting them to be a little bit sluggish. And instead, the exact opposite happens where I think Corey Schneider may have had one of the easiest shutouts of his career. I don't think it was that easy for him. But uh, I will say that the Ducks played a lot worse than the Sharks and the Kings did in their respective games. Um, I wrote about this in the game preview uh, that went up that Sunday morning. You can see it in the archives at All About the Jersey. And the big thing about the Ducks is that they're not as bad five-on-five as the Devils are, and they're not as bad on the penalty kill and the power play like some other teams. But nothing about Anaheim this season is good. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of their problem, is that they're not the worst. They're just not good at anything. And when you're not good at everything, then, well, you're you're down where the Anaheim Ducks are in the standings. And you could, I got a sense as far as why that is, and they're just not very good at maintaining the puck, whether it's forechecking by the Devils or just straight up turning the puck over or just losing the puck on passes on offense. Like there were a lot of times where 
the Ducks resembled the Detroit Red Wings in their puck management. And that gave the Devils plenty of opportunities to either get an easy exit, get an opportunity going forward. I would say the Devils were definitely sluggish in the first 10 minutes. But after those first 10 minutes, the Devils just kind of got into a rhythm and they just kept attacking and attacking and attacking John Gibson. And they, you know, they hit big on their power plays, their first two power plays. They kept attacking. They got a third goal after the two penalty kills they had to kill that night. And, you know, Schneider did make quite a few good saves. Jack Hughes bailed him, you know, helped deny an easy goal for Rickard Raquel in the third period. But, uh, yeah, in terms of shutouts, this wasn't like, say, you know, the Philadelphia game where Blackwood had to face 46 shots and it's like, OK, you stop 46 shots. That's a, that's amazing. Right. Like like but but I wouldn't say it was an easy shutout for Schneider. But at the same time, yeah, the Ducks were not playing well at all. Yeah. And <laughs> this is a rare two goal game for Pavel Zaka, who. After being put on a line with Gusev and Brett, seems to really have found something. I, I really like the way that those three look together because it is almost an all-skill line. It's There's no real like grit and grind on that line at all. It, it's just guys who love passing the puck, and Brett, who has gotten significantly more confident in his shot as the season's gone on, maybe just to stick it to Nazardine, but maybe just because he's found that next tier of confidence that he needs— to become an elite shooter for these two centers that the Devils are planning to, uh, you know, move their whole rebuild around. So they've they've found some good stuff over the last couple of weeks, and they've been playing quite well. So Zaka with two goals there, and then Nico Heischer breaks a nine-game goalless drought um, for him, and he actually hadn't scored since I think it was February 1st, and then he was out with injury. Right. So long time coming for him. I'm sure that's a big relief because he hasn't looked too pleased with himself recently either. And that first line has not been good that this he sure no. use Palmieri experiment is not doing well, but the problem is where else are you going to really put Hughes? I get that. But a part of me wants to say the real problems have been with he sure and Palmieri yeah. because in a lot of these games, even in the Detroit game, like Hughes, you know, he's stealing the puck. He's looking for passes. He's looking to make plays. Yes, there are a couple turnovers from him, but guess what? Every you know player who needs to have the puck on a stick is is liable to turn it over. Um, you know, if you watch Sidney Crosby play, for example, not that Hughes is as good as Sidney Crosby, but if you watch Crosby play, you would count the turnovers and you're like, okay, he has a lot of them, but there's a reason why because he always has the puck on his stick and he's always trying to make things happen. I mean, that's just a function of of how that play style goes. And, and Hughes absolutely has set up Palmieri and Heischer for a lot of great scoring opportunities over these four games, and they just haven't finished them. Palmieri's power play goal in Detroit was the only one. I mean, I mean, it's almost like, you know, as much as I agree that Hughes uh, does, is not working with Heischer and Palmieri to a degree, uh, you know, I find it – I struggle to really say, is Hughes really the problem here or is it just the lack of finishing – from uh, Palmieri and Heischer. Like, Paul, Hughes set up Palmieri for a killer backhander against Gibson against Anaheim, and he misses the yeah. net entirely. He sets up uh, Heischer right in front of Quick in L.A., which could have been the game-breaking goal late in the late in regulation. He gets he gets stuffed. Like, you know, you can't ask much more from Hughes here. Like, he's the one making the pass. He's he's doing his job. But I agree. I think, I think you need to make a roster change uh, because it's just not functional. And interestingly enough, there's an opportunity to do just that because in this Anaheim game, Dan, Pavel Zaka left the game early mm -hmm. because uh, he apparently picked up what Nazarene calls a not serious injury, as in he said it wasn't serious. Mm -hmm. 
but he only played a minute 50 of that third period. He he took one of the shifts on the penalty kill and that was it for him. He didn't play the final eight minutes and 50 seconds or something yeah. like that, which is a bit unfortunate because he came close to getting a hat. Trick. Yeah. <laughs> so you would you would have loved to have seen it, but uh, they held him out. And now if he's not good to go for the road trips ender in Las Vegas on Tuesday, then that opens up a spot where you could feasibly put Jack Hughes as a center. And yes, that may not be a line that you would want to trust against Las Vegas's awesome uh, set of forwards, but you know, the devil season has nothing to play for. Yeah. So what do you got to lose anyway? Well, so, yeah, that and you get Boquist in the lineup finally, because they called him up to start this road yeah. trip and he still hasn't seen any game action, oh. even though uh, Jacobs got into the Anaheim game. And I thought he was no, fine. Boquist wasn't called up um, at the beginning of the trip. He was oh, called up trip. after the LA. That's right. Game. That's right. Yeah. Yeah, he was called up before the Anaheim game and decided not to dress him. And I understand the argument of, oh, he went cross country, so he's tired. But it's like, if you're not going to play the man, wait until you are before calling him up. Or better yet, since the Devils are off today on Monday, if you had plans to play him on in, in Vegas, call him up on Monday. Use you know use the off day to let him travel, recover, and then he'll play on Tuesday. Mm-hmm. You know, I I. I, I <sighs> You know, they did the same thing with Jacobs. They called him up as an extra for the trip and then gave him nothing until the Anaheim game. He actually played okay in the Anaheim mm-hmm. game. I wouldn't say he was a deal breaker, but I think he was better than Frederick Clayson has been. Yeah. So, you know, again, why? what was the point of calling him up and having him sit for three games while Binghamton is in a dogfight for a playoff spot? And congratulations to Binghamton, by the way, for uh, sweeping their weekend. Uh, Zane McIntyre made his uh, bingo debut, and uh, he had a crazy good shutout on Sunday. Uh, you know, faced a ton of traffic, and he came out uh, perfect. You know, so credit to him and Schneider uh, getting the du- the rare double shutout in the system. Yeah, you, I don't even know when the last time that happened in the Devils organization was. I, I, I'm not sure when both teams got a shutout the same night, but it's good to see, and... You're right about this point. Like, why call him over if he's just not going to play? But why not wait? If you've already planned to use Boquist as one of your emergency call-ups, and you mentioned that it's four total that are allowed, right? Non-emergency? Yeah. Now, now I was also informed by a fan, uh, Triumph 44 on the site, that says, this is kind of – the emergency thing is kind of loose. So they could retroactively say so-and-so was injured, so it was really an emergency call-up. It's one of those little loopholes that – are in the are in the books, but the the NHL teams don't really want to close that for obvious right. reasons. So it may not count as a non emergency call up, which of which you are correct. There you're only limited to four mm-hmm. of them. Um, by my count, my underst- would be Jacobs and be Boquist two. right now. Yeah. So oh, and McLeod, no, yeah. no, McLeod was called up. Um, he was right before. Uh, yeah, on the trade mm-hmm. deadline, so he doesn't count uh, under that rule because that's a that's a thing that takes place at the same time as the trade deadline. Okay. So. Claude was uh, recalled officially beforehand, so I don't believe he counts in that regard. But yeah, if the Devils can work the system to claim them as emergency call-ups, then okay. But even so, there's just the general principle of if you're going to call somebody up, you know, call them up if you're willing to play them in the near future. It's one thing if you got a back-to-back and they had to travel and you're going to play them in the second game of the back-to-back, fine. But it, you've got these off days in your travel schedule. Use them. Yeah. That's what they're there for. It's not like Binghamton has a game on Monday. Well, so I'll ask you then, given that let, – let's just say Jacobs and Boquist are one and two. Who are the players that are most likely to fill those final two spots for the um, 
non-emergency call-ups. And I'm sure there could be many other reasons why players could come up. But if you were to pick two players in Binghamton, balancing out, you know, both the need for New Jersey to see them operate at the NHL level and the need for Binghamton to continue their playoff push, which two players would you expect to be the last ones that uh, round out everyone that's going to be on the roster for the 2019-20 New Jersey Devils? Right. So the first choice is rather yeah. easy. It's uh, Yane Kukkonen. Mm-hmm. I actually learned it's or... Kwakkonen. Kwakkonen. There mm-hmm. you go. I had it right the third time. Um, yeah. Because the Devils acquired him for the Vatnin trade. He was acquired primarily because he was caught in a numbers game in Carolina. He wasn't in a good position to be called up anytime soon. He's already 21. Um, he's definitely one of those players that, based on his skill set and his age, you just want to get him up back to New Jersey just to see what do you have in him now. And you could start planning for the future of whether or not he's really someone to watch out for or whether or not you figure he needs more seasoning at the AHL level. I have a suspicion he's probably a lot closer to the NHL than not, but I I would need to see that. And obviously, so would the New Jersey Devils uh, people in charge. Um, So that's an easy choice for one of the two. The fourth choice is really difficult um, because you can go in a bunch of different directions. A part of me... I mean, thinking Merkley has to be in the conversation. Merkley has to be in the conversation because he was effective in his few games on the fourth line, which is kind of rare on this team since, you know, John Hayden has had that spot locked down and he has been ineffective. Well, if anything, like but, before, even as like a point of pride, before Kevin Ball arrives in the NHL, Merkley represents the only tangible uh, NHL experience they've gotten from that deal so far. True. And, you know, you could say, look, he was sent down. If we're going to send down, say, uh, McLeod, or we're going to send down Bulkfist, bring up Merkley, just sort of even things out. I guess you could make that your fourth choice. I'm thinking from the perspective of the devil should be looking at guys that they only have a little familiarity with in the concept of this season. So my fourth choice is a toss up between Nathan Bastian and Brett Sini. Gotcha. Sini would be more of a reward because he has been very productive in Binghamton. Um, I have very little doubt of his NHL future. He is an older prospect. He was a 96th birthday. Uh, we already saw quite a bit of Sini last season, and it's clear that it's he's either a fourth-line energy guy or he's nothing, and you know that's not much right, to say right. with it all. But at the same time, there's, there's a logic similar to Ben Street being called up earlier this season to say, look, he's having a great season. He's getting a reward for his work to get a couple games back in the show, so to speak get a higher payday for a couple days, and then he can go back to Binghamton at some point later to uh, help their playoff charge. Uh, Bastion is a guy that I thought he looked pretty good in his call-up last season, and it was cut short due to injury. Um, the Devils, somebody in the Devils system, granted that pl- that person may no longer be in the organization anymore. It might have been Ray Shero for all we know. Uh, really liked Bastion enough to uh, give him that call-up last season and give him – uh, an early shot at the AHL given his birth date. So, um, you know, his size could make him a nice guy to be in front on power plays. That's what he did in his few games last season, you know, for a fourth line guy, just to get out and get some minutes and, and be more of a presence, so to speak on the ice, you know, better him than say a Hayden or a wood or, okay. Wood's not really a fourth liner now, but you know what right. I'm saying? Um, so I, those would be the other choices I would look at. I would not. I would. Look, I wouldn't look at a defenseman, and I certainly wouldn't look at a goaltender at this yeah. point. I think. I think the defenseman. You know, the only defenseman. You already saw Tennyson. You already saw Colton White. There's not really any value to calling up Julian Melcori 
or David Quineville, uh, just for a couple looks. I mean, you got preseason for that. There, besides, McCory doesn't have a future in New Jersey, and Quineville apparently can't defend. Right. So, what's the point? No, no, yeah, I, and I would agree with you that um, those are two of the likelier ones in terms of Cini and Bastion. I do like the idea of Cini as a reward, but you know, he was rewarded last year for having a. Or, what was it two years ago for having no, it was oh, last, it was last season. season? Yeah, I mean, for having a good yeah. camp, and he really did not have a smooth transition to the NHL. So, is this something that is he just an AHL caliber player, or is it something that he could translate to the NHL level? And that's worth finding out for sure. Kwakinen seems it does seem like the obvious pick, which is why I'm wondering if they'll just let him sit down there for a while and help out Binghamton as much as possible and then let him try and camp as well. Yeah, because there is some value to having your AHL affiliate team be a competitive team that sees some playoff action and gets some success because there is something to the notion of a winning culture in your organization, not just in terms of, hey, we won the championship, so that means we're going to be great later on. It's more or less that, um, you know, since Binghamton and New Jersey supposedly play very similar systems of hockey, you want to be able to demonstrate to the players down there to say, look, if you play this way, it'll make for an easier transition to New Jersey. And it shows that it can be successful, at least at this level. And, um, you know, I question if that is really working in Binghamton. But, hey, you know, they're knocking on the door of a playoff spot. So it's clearly not as terrible as it is in New Jersey. So, well, there's another factor um, attached to this, too, because the Devils have three first round picks going this year. And. Obviously, it's a very important draft for them from a rebuild perspective, but they have a lot of assets. So these prospects that they could potentially bundle into deals attached to these picks and other assets look a lot better if they're doing better in the AHL and if the AHL team is performing at a higher level. I think that, you know, you can you can look at isolated stats all you want, but they're going to look a lot better if the team is doing well. Oh, yeah, exactly. And it also helps the players want to do better. I mean, that's one of the things I think we tend to we tend to miss in a lot of this um, coverage of prospects and players is that, you know, development is not like a role playing game in a video game where, you know, you fight a bunch of battles, you get a bunch of XP and then, you know, at some level you, you move on up and you suddenly become better as a result. That's not really how it works. Like, you know, it goes into how you train, how you practice. What habits do you demonstrate on the ice? And losing teens tend to build bad habits. They uh, built you the, wanted, that you like want... spiral onto themselves too. Like one small thing can just become such a such a chasm for a team that's in a free fall that you want to be able to not only create a winning culture but find ways to get out of a losing one. And Binghamton has done both of those things this year. Exactly. Now Binghamton obviously needs to finish the right. job. Obviously, you don't want to come this far and fall short. And uh, a lot of things still need to happen. But you know. To that end, I can respect a decision like keeping Kuokkanen or Sini down in Binghamton just to say, let's ensure that they have at least a legit chance to do this. Because I can understand from Binghamton fans especially that, you know, they're they're looking for some success. They're looking to see their team win just as much as we want to see our favorite team win. And, you know, unlike us in New Jersey up, up in the NHL, you know, they have to always worry about somebody coming by and saying, we're going to take your best players and now you're going to have to be be even yeah. worse and try to get wins that you badly need you know it hurts the cause and i'm sure i'm sure they're probably looking at schneider and going oh well you know schneider you know he, he got better as time went on and now he's doing amazing things in the nhl how come he can't he's not doing this for us but that's another discussion entirely yeah. i don't feel that bad given <laughs> that they're all working towards the same cause essentially right so i do want to bring up one additional factor mm. 
I'm, I'm uh, as a sidebar, and maybe this will be a running theme for the next several weeks of podcasts. I'm going to call this pick watch. Okay. So as you mentioned, the Devils have three first round picks. However, two of them are conditional. Right. Uh, Arizona's is conditioned on the fact that they do not win a lottery. And Vancouver's first rounder is conditioned on whether or not they make the playoffs. So to that end, Devils fans, we should do some scoreboard watching and not just to see our hated rivals fail and fail miserably like they did on Sunday night. I guess. Thank you. Sort of flyers. Um, anyway, so Vancouver is currently sitting in the first wild card spot in the West with 74 points. However, there are literally three teams right behind them with 72 points and Minnesota behind them with 71. Um, fortunately for Vancouver and Nashville, uh, Winnipeg and Arizona, those other two teams with 72 points, have 67 games compared to the Vancouver 65. So Vancouver easily has an edge to keep on going. And plus, they're only a point behind Calgary for that third place spot in the Pacific. So it's a very tight ra race in the Western Conference. Speaking of, Arizona's only two points. Um, well, actually, they're tied with Nashville for points who own the second wild card spot, but games played is hurting them at the moment. However, if, if Arizona could start figuring it out, and if Nashville starts falling a little bit and Winnipeg takes a step back, then Arizona could very well take a playoff spot. And there is some value to them taking a playoff spot, Dan, because if they take a playoff spot, they obviously can't win a right. lottery. So that's a guaranteed first round pick, albeit in the middle or later parts of the draft. But also it gives the Arizona Coyotes an opportunity to win a playoff series, which if they do, the 2021 third round pick of Arizona gets upgraded to a second, mm -hmm. which is important because the Devils don't. Well, the Devils have the Islanders second in 2021, but it sure would be nice if they had a second second, since for all we know, the Islanders are going to be great next season, despite all, you know, logical theories and reasonable thoughts that we may have about the game of hockey. And that's something worth rooting for, because it doesn't like I don't I haven't been reading much about it since he's no longer here, but it doesn't look like the other condition, which involves Taylor Hall re-signing with Arizona is a sure thing at all. Um, no, not at in all. In fact, not only does he have to figure out if, you know, they're worth it for him, they have to figure out if he's worth it for them. And given that, obviously, people are going to have the misconception that their play got significantly worse when he joined their team. And the record would suggest that. But also the record ignores the fact that their goalie, who would look to be on track for a potential Vezina, went down for a long time, their number one goalie. So I... I don't know. It's it obscures the value of him a little bit, and he's still been productive. It's just that they had an yeah. unfortunate run of injuries to their defense and goaltender. And I actually live with an Arizona Coyotes fan, so he's been musing about all of this to me. And I'm like, listen, I want you to win a playoff series as well because it doesn't really feel like Taylor Hall is that, you know, that pumped about re-signing there potentially. Exactly. I mean, you got to figure that if Taylor Hall's big thing is hey, I'm going to get paid a lot of money no matter who signs me, so I want to go to a place where I can actually get some success. If Arizona doesn't make the playoffs and win a series, then, yeah, the odds of him staying in Arizona is going to be very low unless you know their new owner decides to back up the Brinks truck and then back up another Brinks truck for him, and even then that may not be enough. Right. But such such is life with dealing with an unrestricted free agent. They are, well, unrestricted, so they can do whatever they feel like. Uh, but in any case, so that's Pick Watch for this episode, and I'm sure Pick Watch will be very different on uh, for Saturday's show, or rather uh, Friday's recording, which will be up on Saturday, since it is that tight in the Western Conference. You know, things can change within a day, yeah. man. I mean, Vancouver was on pace to beat Columbus, and then the, the injured Columbus Blue Jackets somehow stormed back for a 5-3 comeback win. Who knows? Yeah. 
Who knows with either of these teams? Well, so that's pick watch, and there's also prospect watch, where Ty Smith has been absolutely blowing up this week. He got oh, eight yeah. points in a game uh, just this last week with a hat trick and five assists, and I think he followed that up with another multi-point effort uh, in the next game for Spokane. So listen, Ty, we get it. You don't want to be there anymore, and we all understand this. Show what you need to show in camp, and you will be a New Jersey Devil. Maybe there's a stop in Binghamton for a couple of weeks before that, but like it's not far off if you keep putting up hat tricks and eight point games. The problem is make it happen when it counts. Yeah, exactly. Could you imagine if Smith actually made the this New Jersey Devils roster? Oh, that would be disastrous for his confidence. Exactly. Well, be well, yeah, it would be disastrous for a lot of other reasons, right. too. Um, but no, Smith has been on fire since the World Junior Championships. He is proving to everybody that, yeah, this should be his last WHL season. Like, you know, he's he's literally showing he's got nothing left to prove in Spokane. So for him, the whole point is go out there, help lead Spokane to an awesome WHL playoffs. Hopefully get him to the Memorial Cup with a championship and then, you know, go obtain the biggest prize in Canadian Major Junior League Hockey. And then this way he can say he did it all in the junior. He can literally say he did it all in the junior level. We'll see if Spokane gets up there because, you know, playoffs, junior hockey, things happen. Yeah. <laughs> you know, but but Smith has definitely been a, a monster both on the score sheet and in the run of play in, in these last several months um, since the World Juniors. So happy to see him have a big night. Not sure if I appreciate the mustache he's been rocking as of late. I guess it does make him look that much older. He also looks kind of like he's an officer of some yeah, sort. Honestly, whatever Maybe works. That's for defense. Yeah, you know. Yeah, basically, if the mustache is why you're playing well, then by all means, keep the mustache. <laughs> I, I, I I make no judgments. I'm a, I'm a pro hair choice kind of person. Awesome. Um, so not like the not like Steinbrenner or Lou Lamorello. No, but I will. Well. No, okay. I will, um, I will okay, so, you know, to close out this episode, we'll send our devils off to what looks like could be the hardest stretch of the entire year, believe it or not. Believe it or not, that hasn't happened. They just have looked that bad that it looks that it's looked that difficult. But looking at this schedule they have coming up, and I'm just going to go for the next week because we've already looked ahead on past episodes, but they're yeah. in Vegas. They host St. Louis. Then they're in New York, which is, you know, not really a road game, but it's a road game against the Rangers, who are going to be fighting for any point they can get. And then they host Pittsburgh on uh, Tuesday the 10th. Yep. And Vegas just lost to Los Angeles the same night the Devils blanked uh, Anaheim. They lost 4-1 in their own house. And given that Vegas kind of needs the point since Edmonton is beating the snot out of Nashville right now, um, and Edmonton could very well take the Pacific Division. Expect a very motivated Las Vegas team Which is on Tuesday. A terrifying thought, really. Yes, and St. Louis has been crushing everybody. Our hated rivals are now fighting for a playoff spot or playoff hopes, I should say. So that's going to be a, a pain. And Pittsburgh has their own playoff fight because they have been on a losing streak as of late. And suddenly, instead of fighting for first place, they're very close to being in a wild card spot. So <laughs> it never gets easier for the Devils unless. Somebody drops off really badly, and even then, that's likely to be, like, Minnesota, and that's on the 26th of March. Like, there's a ways to go before that. Yeah. Game. Everybody else in between has something legitimate to play for against the Devils who have nothing to play for. It was for. very conflicting as a Devils fan watching 
the Flyers Rangers series this weekend because it very much proved that there's a clear distinction between the top tier and the not top tier in the Eastern Conference in terms of playoff contenders. The good thing is that the Rangers proved they're distinctly not a top tier playoff contender. Although the bad news is that the Flyers proved that they're very much a top tier playoff contender. They look very good. They've won six in a row and they just keep winning. So uh, luckily the Devils don't see them again until the end of this month. But just something to keep in mind as, you know, you see how they've developed and they're doing it all without Nolan Patrick. I know. It's amazing. <laughs> they're doing it all without Nolan Patrick. Believe it or the, not. The, the stud incarnate. Yeah, I was told he'd be the difference, but uh, it looks like he isn't. That being said... I don't know. I it, it was just odd to see them really sit the Rangers down like that, and it's just going to add more fuel to their fire uh, this upcoming Saturday. So we'll look ahead to those games after the Devils get the Vegas flu and then play host to the Stanley Cup champions. And um, yeah, we'll be back this weekend with a new episode. We'll have maybe a new game for you, maybe some other potpourri discussions. But uh, that's all from my end for now. John, you got anything else? Good luck, Devils. All right. Good luck, Devils. Let's go get some wins and let's play spoiler because it looks like it's going to be the role of the century for this plucky Devils team. Thanks again for listening and we'll see you this weekend.